You're listening to a podcast from Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, whose mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Um, so as a kid, I always had to do things right. I, I needed to be perfect. Uh, if I wasn't able to do what I wanted to properly or, 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 or couldn't get it right, then, then I wouldn't even want to try. Uh, the, the clearest memory I have of this is uh, in elementary school, it was, we were working on math problems for whatever reason, and I just didn't get it. I didn't know how to do it right, and so I was so, fr- like, I almost started to cry. I was so frustrated, and I didn't even want to try. I didn't even want to, like, have an attempt at it, because if I did it wrong, then, then that was the end. Like, there was no going back. Um, and so my perspective was that by, you know, quote-unquote, doing the right thing or doing it perfectly, that, that I would earn my status, that I would earn my status in the family, I would earn my status as the, the good kid in class or among my friends. And if I could just be that good kid, then my position as one who, who didn't cause any problems or didn't bring any stress would justify me. And while, while I'm no longer a child and my family dynamics have changed, I'm, I'm now a husband, I'm a father, I'm a, I'm a church member, uh, many different things, I still find myself trying to earn my position in the family, in, in the family that I'm immediately in, in the family here in the church, in the family of God. You see, uh, my personality, I, I'm a doer. If you know me, that is, that is no surprise at all. I like to be busy. I like to accomplish things. Uh, and I like to get things done. I have to feel productive. And now, now, don't get me wrong. Being productive and accomplishing things and, and, and getting tasks taken care of is, isn't a bad thing in and of itself. But what I was trying to do was to find my status and position in being able to get these things done being able to accomplish tasks X, Y, and Z. And, and that was where I thought I was gaining my, my status from, my position. And it, it kind of came to a head a little bit. After our first son was born, I took on the role of being a stay, the stay-at-home parent. And if, if you have had children before, you know that they're quite needy, and they need a lot of attention and a lot of, a lot of things that they can't take care of themselves. And, and so even in the midst of that, though, I still kept finding myself getting so irritated and frustrated because I had all of these, this checklist of things that I wanted to accomplish in the day, other than just taking care of this small child, in order to feel good about myself, in order to feel productive, to feel like I had, had justified the fact that I was staying home and taking care of this child, and that I was no longer working a full-time job. Um, you see, I was working to justify myself, but it didn't bring any relief or satisfaction that I sought. Uh, So I had to ask myself, how is it that I am able to justify my position within the family or my role as a stay-at-home dad? Now, I don't know about you, but I think that all of us are searching for significance. We're all searching for our status in one way or another, for you, perhaps it's as being a, a good student, or an athlete, or a husband, or a wife, or even an employee and a good coworker. Perhaps even unconsciously, you're asking yourself, "How can I be justified in that position?" Similarly, when it comes to our faith, 
we can find ourselves asking the same question. How are we justified before God? How are we justified before God? This morning, we're going to continue walking through the book of Galatians, and we're going to look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, in order to try to answer this question. How are we justified before God? See, Galatians is a short book in the, in the New Testament authored by the Apostle Paul, who was once a man who lived his life trying to earn his status by holding to the letter of the law and persecuting any who opposed that. So if you have your Bibles with you today, I ask you to open them up to Galatians chapter 2, um, verses 1 through 10, and stand with me as we read God's Word. And if you don't have, have your Bible with you this morning, the words are going to be up here on the screen as well as we read through them. Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Then, after 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed to be influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, When they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word this morning and how you continue to reveal yourself through your word, how you convict us and how you you give us encouragement and also you give us correction. And so as we look at your word this morning, help us to to take your insight and what does it it look like to be justified before God? I pray these things in your name. Amen. You may be seated. So thus far in the book of Galatians, we found the Apostle Paul coming, coming straight out of the gates, not holding back. As, as Josh mentioned last week, the Apostle Paul starts this book like a parent who is screaming at their child to get out of the street. He is so concerned with their, uh, their, their safety, and he is immediately concerned with their uh, removing them from danger that, that he's not holding back. He wants to get their attention and bring them to safety. And, and throughout the so far, he's, he's first started by establishing himself and establishing his authority as, as an apostle, as an, as an authority on the same level of those who were disciples that walked with Jesus. And he's hinted at, like in, in chapter one, he talked about, don't, don't be deceived, my brothers. Don't fall away from this gospel that I have preached to you. And if anybody comes before you who preaches a different gospel, let them be condemned. Let them be damned forever. 
And so now in, in chapter 2, we start to get a little bit of a glimpse of what, what is he talking about here, this, this gospel that they should not be pulled, pulled to, this, this false gospel. And so within that, we're going to look and, and ask this question, how are we justified before God? And in these 10 verses from Galatians, we will see three methods that, that we tend to use to try and justify ourselves before God. We look at first uh, by asking another question, and we're going to start by, by, are we justified by the law? Are we justified by the law? Now, the law, when it refers to here, is talking about the Mosaic law, the Old, the Old Testament, all those rules and regulations that are unpacked in the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, and, and the law is something that is external, the law is something that you try and do, that you try and hold to. You try and follow all the right rules and perform all of the right things in order to earn your standing with God, in order to get into right relationship with God so that he doesn't smite you and he, you can be in his presence in a proper way. And here specifically, the external issue being addressed is one of circumcision. You see, in these, these 10 verses— Paul mentions or speaks of circumcision or uncircumcision five separate times in these 10 verses. Over half, in over half of these verses, he's, he's speaking about circumcision. Verse 2, the gospel that I proclaimed to the Gentiles, the Gentiles would be uncircumcised individuals. Verse 3, they were, that, that Titus, he was not forced to be circumcised. Verse 7, to the circumcised and to the uncircumcised. Verse 8, to the circumcised, and then to the Gentiles, or the uncircumcised. And then verse 9, again, to the Gentiles, the uncircumcised, and they to the circumcised. Back and forth, back and forth. Circumcision, uncircumcision. You know, you know, we might think in our day, like, why such an emphasis, Paul, on this little piece of skin? Like, what is the big deal? Um, and so, you see, there's, this might not seem like a big deal to us, you know, we, we don't think about circumcision. But in their, in their time, in this context, this was a linchpin. This was a huge situation that they needed to work out. See, there was a sect of Jewish professing Christians who believed that, that Jesus' death, his burial, and his, his resurrection, but what that accomplished is that it restores God's people to the ability to then be faithful to the Old Testament laws, to the Old Testament rules, to the, all those regulations and rules in the first five books of the Bible, the Mosaic law that were written out, then it, that Jesus coming allowed them to actually do all those things, to be faithful to it, to accomplish it, to, to hold to that standard. And so they, they believed that if you wanted to be right with God in that same way too, then you had to become like them. You had to become Jewish. And well, what is one of the biggest things to becoming Jewish? You have to be circumcised. And so they, they pressed this. They said, no, if you, if you want to believe, if you want to be right with God like us, then, then you have to be circumcised. And that's just the start. That's just the tip, you know. Then after that, you have to, be, you have to hold firm to the, to the Sabbath, and you have to follow all these rules, and you have to do it right. And, and, and if, this, if they had not stood in opposition to this, if they have not stood in opposition to this idea that I have to hold firm to all these laws and I have to do it right and I have to build myself up, then we would be in a, in a two-party system of Christianity. Those that are justified 
by doing all the right things, by holding to the rule of circumcision, and those that don't. You see, this is, this is an important thing here. If, we'd, if, if Paul had not stood to stand against this, then Christianity as we know it today would not exist. It would have crumbled in that time. You see, we so often get caught up in that idea that, that we have to do something external, that we have to you know, put on a good show, that we have to hold up this perception of, of doing the right thing, of acting the right way. If I could just do X, then, then these people would accept me. Or if I could properly act the right way in this situation, then, then I'm good. If I follow all of these rules, then I'm justified. But unfortunately, that doesn't work. The way that the law works is that if you can't keep the standard of even one, then you are guilty of breaking all of them. How exhausting would that be <laughs> to try and to, to do all these things right and then to fail at one and receive the guilty charge? You see, holding to the letter of the law does not justify us. The law is something that is external. Well, the, if we can't be that, well, what else? The law, the law is external, but the law is also, it also enslaves us. The tail end of verse 4 says, says that um, the, false, the false teachers, the false brothers that came in to accuse and to, to, to stand up against them, they did it so that they might bring us into slavery. They wanted to bring them back into bondage to this law, and not just to the law, but also the bondage that we experience of sin as well. You see, a pursuit of justification by the law becomes a system of works-based righteousness. We're just running on this treadmill as hard as we can, trying to move forward, but we're going nowhere. We can't do it on our own. It becomes a cycle of performance-based righteousness. I've got to do it. I've got to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I've got to get it right. And so we look to earn our way into a right relationship with God by trying to, to clean ourselves up, you know, trying to accomplish something for him. So often I feel like people say that, that maybe don't come to church or are interested but don't want to. They say, well, first I got to get myself right. I got to clean myself up first before I can come there, you know. That's, that's where all the good people go. And if I want to be able to go and I want to be able to experience that, I got to get right. I got to clean myself up first. But how broken is that? The church isn't a place where we are all perfect and we have it all together. The church is a hospital where we come because we are needy and we are broken and we are in need of a Savior because we cannot do it on our own. We are not justified by the law because the law is external and the law enslaves us. <clears throat> so if we can't be justified by the law, well, well what, what else could there be? And this also, this book, this section of Galatians also talks about how, well, how about association? You know, Paul talks a lot about here about people of influence and the pillars and, and all that. So, so how about by association? Can we be justified by association? Does being around those that are, are like us or somebody that is in a position of influence then justify us as well by association? Well, no. 
we are not justified by association with those that are like us. Verse 3 talks about that. Um, But then even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. See, Paul and Barnabas, when they went up to Jerusalem, they went up there in a, in a relief effort to, to provide relief for a famine, and um, as a revelation had been revealed to them to go up and, and have this ministry effort. And as they were there, they, they met with the pillars, and they were having these conversations. But Paul and Barnabas were Jews. You know, they would have fit right in in Jerusalem. There would have been no question about them. But they also took Titus. And who was Titus? Titus was this Gentile non-believer you know, we might think of him in our days, he was a heathen. And they took him up with him. And when they got there and they started having these conversations, they didn't make him become circumcised in order to join in on the crew. He didn't have to be just like Paul and Barnabas in order to earn his way and to be right with God. So if we're not justified by association with those that are like us, what about by association with those who are of influence? Those that have a prominent position, those that, that hold some status out there. Well, unfortunately, we're not justified by that either. We're not justified by association with those of influence. Three different times Paul in this letter, in this chapter, um, talks about somebody who is of influence or influential or a pillar in verse 2, it talks about that they went up because of a revelation set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, somebody who was prominent. Verse 6, he talks again, is, and, and from those who seemed influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. And then in verse 9, again, it says, and when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars... Also another reference to those who, who seem to be influential. Uh, you know, so those who seem to be influential that he was talking about here, James and, and John and Peter, those were, those were three of the 12 disciples, the inside crew that walked with Jesus as he lived on this earth. They had that firsthand knowledge. If you were going to encounter anybody of influence in this time and in this day, you would think it'd be these people, right? You would think that they got it going on. If I'm just hanging out with them, Maybe I can get some of that high esteem, too. Um, yet, Paul himself, he didn't find a justification from being around these pillars, these men of influence of the church. Paul stood up, and he stood upon a revelation that he received directly from Christ Jesus himself. See, Paul, in his old life, he, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was somebody who held to the letter of the law. He knew the scriptures back and forth like the back of his hand. He stood aside while those who professed faith in Christ were stoned, and he said, that's right, you're doing good stuff there, guys. But when he met God, he was walking on a road to go and persecute some more people, and God struck him in such a way that he could have no way of denying the gospel, that Jesus Christ was God. It blinded him. It was so direct. See, we, we can think that Paul, you know, was, a lot of times people will say, was, well, Paul was just a normal guy. He was just like us. And if we can just, you know, get a hold of what Paul was saying, then, then we'd be good. But what we need to understand is that Paul was no ordinary guy here. 
There, there wasn't another person like Paul who was walking on the road to Damascus and God encountered them with a flash of light and blinded them and spoke directly to them and said, no, I am the living God. Stop what you were doing. Stop persecuting the church. And then say, not just that, Paul, but I am going to now use you. I'm going to use you to go forth and to preach this gospel that you have been rejecting and persecuting. That's not a normal thing. Paul is a special sort of guy. But even in the midst of those people of influence, he, he didn't feel like he needed to be associated with them to have his status before God. And so I think that it, it's no surprise that even today we often can get caught up in that. You know, we can think that because we are associated with someone that's in a prominent position, if we are around somebody that, that has a high standing, that, that that gives us some significance by association. You know, this could be through, through your job as you, as you work to get yourself in, in the presence of, like, the CEO or your manager or somebody in high status. Um, you, want to, you want to be around a high-ranking colleague, so then they're like, oh, yeah, maybe he knows some good stuff, too. Maybe I should talk to him. <clears throat> or, or it can maybe you, you're, feeling, you're feeling kind of puffed up because you're feeling special because you're, you're hanging out with the right kids at school. You know? You're in the cool crew. crew. And as, be, as in the cool crew, you're cool by association. That's not how God looks at us. And so just as we are not justified by the law, which is external, which enslaves us, we're not justified by being like those who are around us. You see, I, I, I can even find myself wanting to fall into this idea of wanting to be justified by association. As I've been, as I've been growing in this, this role of, of an elder and, and a pastor um, and, and being in this convergence training program, I'm around a lot of pretty cool guys. A lot of guys that, that I think kind of got it together. And I can find myself thinking, yeah, these guys have got it going on. They know what they're doing. That must mean I'm pretty cool too because I'm here with them, right? That makes, that makes me good. But unfortunately, that's not, that's not how it works. <clears throat> we are not justified by association. We're not justified by being with the right people. We're not justified by being around somebody who has it all together. So, well, you might be asking yourself, well, well how am I supposed to be justified before God? You know, if I, if I can't pull myself up by my bootstraps, if I can't just hang out with the right crew, what am I supposed to do? What are the other options? There's only one option, really. We are justified before God only by the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are justified by the gospel because the gospel is freeing. Okay? Verses 4 through 5 talk about that. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. See, the gospel sets us free so that we are no longer bound to the Old Testament and the Old Covenant law. We're no longer bound to the consequences of not being able to hold to that law perfectly. We're no longer bound to to being judged for for slipping up on one thing. And so, uh, we're freed from that. Through the gospel, we're freed from the, 
from the pursuit of perfectionism in the way that we behave. We're freed from the pursuit of perfectionism in the way that we interact with others. We're freed from the pursuit of getting it all right to build ourselves up. See, but not only does the gospel free us from the law, not only does the gospel free us from having to do all of these things, it also frees us from a bondage to sin. See, outside of the gospel, we are, we are lost on our own. We, we try and we toil and we, we do all these things, but, but we fall back into these desires of, of wanting to seek after pleasure. We want to seek after what makes us feel good. We want to seek after ourselves. And the gospel frees us from that. The gospel frees us from this, this bondage into sin, this bondage of, of wanting to do the right thing, of wanting to, to act in a proper way, or the, of the bondage of wanting to be right with God but unable to do that on our own. The gospel frees us from that. The gospel frees us from being bound to sin. Not only that, but we are justified by the gospel because the gospel cannot be added to. The gospel is self-sustaining. Verse 4 talks about that. Sorry. Uh, sorry, verse 6. Verse 6 talks about how the gospel cannot be added to. Uh, and Paul says, And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seem to be influential added nothing to me. They added nothing to what Paul was saying. They weren't able to, to add on some extra things. They weren't able to add on, Well, Paul, you're not doing it right here, so you got to do X, Y, Z, too. You're, not, you're, you're kind of missing the mark, Paul, so you gotta, you got to get this done, too. <clears throat> it's not how the gospel works. To be justified by the gospel, it's not the gospel plus our abilities or the gospel plus the law and following all these rules. To be justified before God, it's not the gospel plus our association with the right people or being in the right group or hanging out with the cool kids. The gospel of Jesus Christ is fully self-sustaining. It's fully self-contained. There is nothing that can be added to it to make it better. Nothing. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> That's a great, great gift. You see, a pursuit of justification by a means other than the gospel, any other means other than the gospel, leaves us in a cycle of, of works righteousness, trying to get it done by ourselves. We're vainly running after something that we will never be able to accomplish, that we'll never be able to satisfy a hunger that we have outside of the gospel. We can try and do it through our external appearances or through our ability to follow rules and hold to the letter of the law or by surrounding ourselves with others that are like us or by placing ourselves in the right circle but none of those will justify us before God. Only the gospel will. And so we can stand as those who believe and say, but thanks be to God that we have received forgiveness through the atoning blood of Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and then was rose again, victorious over sin and victorious over death, that we might be brought back into a right relationship with him. And not only that, but it is all because of grace through faith in Jesus. Isn't that amazing? God did not have to do this. God chose to initiate a relationship with us because of his grace and mercy and compassion for us, and because of his desire for his own glory. 
The gospel is unchanging. The gospel frees us from bondage to sin, and the gospel gives us new life. Amen, right? And so if you are a Christian here today, we want to invite you to respond in that, in an act of obedience, by coming to the communion tables this morning and receiving communion. As we take the bread and we dip it in the wine, the bread which is a symbol of his body that was broken for us on the cross, and the, the, the wine or the juice is a symbol of the blood that was shed to cover us. We do that in remembrance of him. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your word that, that, that shows us that we can't do it on our own, God. That, that you are a holy and perfect and righteous God. And when we try to, to get right with you just by doing the right thing or by hanging out with the right people, that we're just spinning our wheels. And so, God, we are so thankful for the grace that you show us through the gospel. We are so thankful for the precious blood of your son, Jesus, that was shed on our behalf, that we could be in a right relationship with you, that we can come before you and we can rest in you. We thank you for that. And praise things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please visit us at www.redseachurch.org or contact us at info at redseachurch.org.